Welcome to the Pacific Point Church Podcast, where we're learning to love and live like Jesus. During this half hour, we're praying that God will direct, encourage, and speak to you. If you would like to partner with Pacific Point Church and our church plants, visit us at pacificpointchurch.com give. At that same site, you can also watch and listen to previous sermons, read follow-up blog posts and extended notes, and even connect with Pacific Point Church on social media. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. You know, there, you there you go. Good morning. How's everybody? Are they, uh, let's back here. Um, we've got tur- uh, turkey hangovers. Is everybody, they have good Thanksgivings? You guys, al- are you guys alive? Are we good here this morning? Are you still, uh, still uh, on that, that turkey high? It was good. All family, no good family brawls. Anybody have any good family fights and all that good stuff on this? No? Okay. Just us, Chris. Just you and me. That's it. No. Um, so glad you're with us uh, this morning. Uh, I hope you did have a wonderful time uh, at Thanksgiving with your families. It's always a, a special time to be together. We are in a series in Ephesians, and we've been going through that, and uh, we started a couple months ago, and then we'll, we'll just keep going. We'll have a couple breaks, whether it be Christmas or some other, other things, but um, we are, oh, I guess we got a pancake breakfast next week, too. Um, Ephesians, we are in this series, and last week, Paul, we talked about in Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, which was perfectly set up going into Thanksgiving, and we talked about Paul's thankful heart and what he said there. And this week, in Ephesians 3, 1 through 13, we're going to talk about... Paul talks about stewardship and revelation and power. Stewardship that God has called us to and the revelation of God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and I've I really enjoyed it. I've changed this message 15 times, so um, this should be good. I, I've enjoyed diving in and, and wrestling through it, and there's some good stuff in there. I'm looking forward to some challenging stuff in there. So hopefully you'll be able to receive that today. And let's get at it and read the scripture from Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. It says this. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. As I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mysteries of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations as has been revealed by the Holy Spirit and the apostles and prophets and by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light everyone, uh, everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purposes that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. 
God, there's a mouthful there. There's a lot there, God. But I pray that you would speak this morning. Holy Spirit, that you would just move me aside, that your words would come forth. God, that you would prepare our hearts to receive what you would speak to us. Lord, I pray that the hard places would be softened. God, I pray that the unforgiveness, Lord, that, that, that we would forgive. God, I pray where there's hopelessness that you'd bring hope. God, I pray where there's hurt, you'd bring healing. I thank you for your word. I thank you that's alive and active. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. There's a lot there in that I'm, I'm tackling. And, and Paul is writing this letter from prison. You know, and you can only imagine what it would be like to be in prison. Like, if I'm in prison, I'm not writing encouraging letters to you. I'm writing letters like, break me out of this joint. You know, get me out of this place. I, you know, Paul's writing these encouraging letters, and, and, and he's talking about this stewardship. Now, the, uh, there's, there's about uh, three or four of the books that, that are in the New Testament that Paul wrote from prison. And, and, you know, you can only imagine being chained to a guard or being beaten or, or dealing with the food situation or whatever it might be. But the difficulties of what he he was doing is he's in there yet there's this heart of Paul that is going forth in this epistle in Ephesians and the heart is for Jesus and for you and I Paul starts out in Ephesians 3 1 he says for this reason I Paul now whenever the Bible says for this reason you need to look back of what he was talking about he's setting it up he's saying for this reason and that reason was this in Ephesians 2 Paul talked about unity he talked about being reconciled to Jesus that each one of us can be reconciled to God and, and new and, and, and he talks about this community that we can walk in called the church with other believers and he says for this reason this is the reason that Paul gets ready to speak and talk about what he's getting into 13 and he goes on and he says this Paul a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you he, he comes out of the gate and he makes this declarative statement about stewardship about stewardship and, and, and it's interesting because as Christians, so many of us come to church and we hear this word and we come into this relationship with Jesus and, and, and we just think it's our magic little genie in the bottle that we can rub when we need, but we don't really think about there's a stewardship that takes place when God gives us revelation of his word and who he is. In other words, you and I are holding something valuable and precious that God has called us to steward. He says, for this reason, God has called us to be good stewards. Stewardship, in some of the translations, I love this translation, it says administration, that we're to minister, that we're, we're to literally give out to others, to steward or to minister, administer, Paul is saying right here. Stewardship and administration started in the beginning. This isn't a new concept with Paul. From day one, when God spoke to Adam and Eve, he gave them administration and stewardship over the land. He says this in Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and to keep it. Each one of us have areas of stewardship that God has given us. Look, if you have kids, what do you do? You steward them. Look, the, the reality is this. This revelation came to Chris, and I don't know from the beginning. I don't know, maybe it did or not. I don't remember. But, but this reality came to us that, that these kids that we have, these five kids, these, these, these 
kids. I'll just leave it at that. Um, these five of them, that, that we are to steward them. That, that someday I will stand before God, Chris will stand before God, and he'll say this. What do you do with McKenna, Jack, TJ, Hudson, and Georgia? I almost forgot Georgia. How can I do that? She's the only one who lives with me now. Sorry, George. Um, he's going to say, what would you do with them? How did you steward them? If you don't have kids, God's going to say this. Okay, what did you do with that wife or that husband? How did you steward that relationship? If you don't have a wife or a husband right now, God's going to say, well, how did you steward the relationship you're in then? Okay, he, he, he's going to say, how did you steward, how did you steward your finances? That I gave you. He's going to ask these questions, and, and, and we're called to steward. And, and Paul says very clearly he, in this, this passage, he's talking about stewardship. Well, Paul is called to steward and administrate two things that he talks about in here. He, he, he talks about stewarding God's grace and stewarding the revelation of God's word and what God speaks to Paul. He's, he's basically saying there, that God's given me these two things, this incredible grace. And I have the, the privilege and the honor to steward it. He said, I, I've got this revelation of God's word that, that comes to me, and, and I, I, I have this responsibility to steward it. And then the same two things that Paul's talking about that he's called you and I as Christians. If you have a relationship with Jesus, you're not just called to come to this place called church, but you're called to steward the gifts that God has given you. You're called to steward God's grace. And the revelation of his word. Stewarding his grace and stewarding his revelation. That's what we do as Christians. Unfortunately, too many in the church just think they get to come, can I say it? Without a, twice a month. And they think they're stewarding God's grace. We have this thing in our mind that we don't think that everything that we actually have has been given to us by God. The very next breath that I draw upon, the next words that come forth from that breath have been given to me by God. Therefore, who's in charge of it? God has given it to me, and he said, now steward it. We don't think that way. We think because we're pretty accomplished. We think because, hey, I've done a thing or two in life, that it's me. You may have worked hard in something, but the, the, the fact that you're doing what you did, the mind to do what you did, or the, the hands or feet to do what you do, because uh, we're given to you by God. Therefore, if we look at it logically, who gave you the opportunity to do it? You're just stewarding it. So he says this, steward or administer God's grace. Paul says, says in this word that, 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 that you're to, to do this. And, and he talks about certain things, and he, and he says, you know, steward or administer God's grace in sharing the gospel. Look, you, you think if you're a Christian, you can just kind of get through life and not have to share the gospel of Jesus? That's a mindset, but the reality is this. When the grace of God hits you, when you see what you were and what God has made you, when your heart gets changed and you realize that what you deserve is hell and what God gives you is grace, how do you not share the gospel? How do you not go to work and, and love someone differently? How do you not love your neighbors in, your, in, in where you live, where God has placed you? How do you not love your children or your wife or your husband differently? 
We share the gospel. And, and Paul says, Paul talks about, you know, he's, he's an evangelist and, 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 and he's, he's stewarding in this gospel that he's given to the Gentiles. Sorry. I got a new microphone. Doug, this is wonderful. I love it. Does this sound better? If it doesn't or you can't tell, just say yes because Doug did, worked hard at it. So thank you. it's amazing. I, I love it. Um, we're called to steward. 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort and complete patience in teaching. Church, you hold the hope. The hope of Jesus lives in you. The grace of God has flown, just flown through your life and goes out. Unless, of course, you stop it. That's a whole nother theological wrestling. Can you stop God's grace in your life? We're not going there. <laughs> Number two, of stewarding and ministering God's grace. Living a gracious life. Do you live a gracious life? It says this in Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another. And in one uh, has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. When we steward God's grace, you know what happens, Christians? We don't hold grudges. When we steward God's grace in our lives, we're quick to forgive because we realize God forgave us. When we steward God's grace, we don't hold grudges against someone that offended us. When you steward God's grace, you don't have the weight. You don't walk around with this tied up because someone did you wrong. When you steward God's grace, the release from maybe how your parents treated you growing up, the release from maybe how you were abused, the release from how whatever it is that you've experienced is covered by God's grace and you don't have to walk in it. Let me clarify, just least you think it's a genie in a magic bottle. Look, I do not in any way, shape, or form want to diminish what anybody's ever gone through. There are people that have gone through horrific, horrific stuff in life. But here's what I know about this gospel. God's grace is sufficient. And, and, and when we steward it, it changes lives. It changes lives. If anybody's walking around here with unforgiveness, we're not stewarding God's grace very well, are we? If anybody's walking around with hardness in their heart towards their brother or sister, you're not stewarding God's grace. And, and I'm going to show you what Paul says because he gives us an answer because you're sitting there going, well, okay, great, but what do I do? Uh, we'll get there. Don't worry. We'll be there by at least 1230 or 1. So we're good. It never gets old, that, that line, does it? You're a pastor, Colton. You pull it out. People still laugh. I love it. All right, number three. Discipleship, we're a stewardship of being disciples. Very clearly, the last thing Jesus says before he ascends into heaven is go and make disciples, Matthew 28. He says, go and reproduce what you are. Look, we understand that in the natural. We have all these kids in the natural. We have no problem getting married, having kids for the most part, and, and, and discipling those kids into good or bad or whatever we disciple them into. But here's the deal. When we walk in God's grace, Paul says this, that we're to steward or administer discipleship to others. In other words, we're to grab someone that, that, that maybe is a step behind us and, and pull them along to walk with us in God's grace. It was never meant for you to hold on to and just your own little holy club. It was never meant for you to just not disperse it or not use it or steward it well. Stewardship of what God gives you is that it goes out. Let me tell you something. If you're dealing with depression, you're dealing with hardship, you're dealing with, look, if you start giving out, that atmosphere will start to change. 
Paul says, steward and minister God's grace and discipleship. The fourth thing he says is, is to steward and minister God's grace in the service of acts of kindness. Just being kind. Doesn't that sound silly? We're Christians. Doesn't it just sound absolutely absurd that we have to say, I need to be kind. I got to tell Eddie all the time, you need to be kind, Eddie. I've got to remind myself all the time. Or sometimes she reminds me that I'm not always the kindest man. Acts of service, serving others outside of myself. It says in James 1.27, a religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unsustained from the world. That, that, that word of widows, I think today, could be used with single moms that are raising families by themselves. That's not an easy thing to do. Church, where are we with our single moms? How do we support? How do we love? How do we stand with? How do we step in and help them with their children? That's what Paul's talking about stewardship looks like. Number five, he says this, stewardship and administration in God's grace in prayer and intercession, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The heart of prayer is so important for a Christian, and we may not understand it, or some of us may go, I really don't know how to pray. Well, let me tell you, come around us, come on a Wednesday morning, and, and we'll show you what prayer looks like, because it's really just very conversational. See, but it's this heart, it's this stewardship of prayer that Paul is talking about. He says when you steward prayer well, when you administer, when you go after and you seek God, he says, things start to change. We prayed this Wednesday. And uh, like we do every Wednesday, over there in the corner on the nice comfy couches where you guys are sitting. That's a powerful section, I'm telling you. That's where we pray. Um, so this, this week, you know, there's four, I don't know, four or five of us there. And, and, uh, but Chris wasn't there. I'm like, so I'm like, text her, where are you? You know, because I'm kind and, and I'm nice. You can see that in my texts. Well, she had left her key to her car in my truck. So I'm thinking, oh, well, okay, it'll just be us. It'll be great. We'll be fine. The next thing you know, she shows up on a bike. Come on. Oh, uh, oh, you're getting claps. Oh, I never get claps. It's... She shows up on a bike. It's an electric bike, but she didn't know how to turn it on, so she rode the bike. <laughs> Sorry. That's a, that a very important part because it even shows your perseverance even more. She pedaled that thing from, from Costa Mesa to here in Costa Mesa. See, Paul says that's, that's stewarding prayer and intercession. Someone who loves to pray. Someone who believes that prayer changes things. Someone believes that the, the lifeblood is, is, is prayer. That's what Paul's talking about in stewarding and administering. Six, he says, steward, to steward and administer God's grace in our generosity, in our financial stewardship. Luke 6, 38 says this, given, it'll be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Paul says this, you can't outgive God. 
Paul says this, you think that, that, that you're going to go broke giving? God goes, no, 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 no. Let me show you what's going to happen. In fact, I'm going to bless you and you won't even be able to believe it. And let me tell you, I've seen it a time and time and time and time again. I, I had a conversation with uh, a good friend this week and we're talking about finances and talking about like, QuickBooks and balancing things and, 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 and they asked about personal and like, I, I don't balance a checkbook. I, I freak out because it, it doesn't make sense. The numbers just don't work, yet they work. I, I, and and I'm, I'm convinced that by the grace of God, my wife and I have committed to giving to what God's doing since the day we got married. And by the grace of God, we have not stopped. And by the grace of God, I've never missed a meal. I've always had a car, a nice car. We, I've lived in great places. I go, I surf in Costa Rica. I mean, dear Lord, I'm a blessed man. Paul says, steward what I've given you. Steward what I've given you. Administer God's grace through your finances. See, you and I are the hands and feet of Jesus. You go, oh, Jesus, get down there and change his life. God, will you, Jesus, will you just change my husband? Will you change my wife or change my kids? Or will you change my boss or change whoever you want to put in there? Jesus, will you just, just do something in their lives? And, 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 and God's saying, look, look, I, Jesus in you, the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in you, through you will make a difference. And we're looking to God, yes, God, through you. Look, he, he sends us out. We're the hands and feet of Jesus. We steward and administer God's grace. It's what we talked about uh, three weeks ago, I think. You know, the, the grace is experienced. It's, it's felt. You taste it. You see it. You, you experience God's grace. You don't just read it from a scripture. It's not just preached to you. Grace is felt. Have you ever felt someone extend grace to you in your life? It's a great feeling. And the moment that I came into this relationship with Jesus, this grace happened. My life was never the same. See, church, you're the hands and feet. You need to run into the midst of the fire and bring God's grace. You need to run in the midst of the difficulty and bring God's grace. That's who God has called us to be. Stewardship. You know, like, oh, a steward. Am I really called to steward and all this stuff? Let me give you a few scriptures. 1 Peter 4.10. As each of us has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Ephesians 3.2. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Paul again talking. Colossians 4.6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Again and again and again and over and over and over again. In this scripture, it talks about us as believers being an extension of God's grace. How are you doing with that? Ah, sometimes I'm good, sometimes I'm not so good. It's all right. When I read this word, it changes me. 
question that you have to ask yourself is this. Is anyone eating the, eating the fruit of your stewardship and God's grace off your life? We did a message eight, ten months ago about the fruit, that people eat the fruit off of our, li- our lives. Grace is one of those fruits that people eat off your life. Are people grabbing that, that grace and, and it's sweet and they eat it and they go, there's something different about that man. There's something different about that woman. I just tasted and experienced this grace that comes from the power of the Holy Spirit that I've never tasted before. Who's eating the fruit off your life? And what are they eating? What does it taste like? Because I can tell you this, there is nothing greater than grace. Look, we look in the natural when I'm a complete idiot, which happened twice in my marriage, when I'm like that. Really? Today? Thanks, Eddie. <laughs> this is one of the most gracious women you'll ever meet. And there's no greater uh, uh, feeling that, that when, when someone extends grace to you, when you know you're a complete idiot. You know what I'm talking about? When you missed a deadline and your boss goes, I'm going to give you some grace on that. When you missed a payment and whoever you missed a payment, I'm going to give you some grace on that. It's like, that's in the natural and the spiritual. The grace that goes forth is this. God, forgive me for being a fool. And God goes, grace through my son Jesus and the blood that covers it. Nothing better. Nothing better. Yet we take it for granted. God's grace. Paul says, don't take it for granted. Steward it. Administer it. Let it be in your hands as you touch others' lives. Number two, are you stewarding the revelation, the mysteries of God? See, because this book, you go give it to just, just anybody out there, clueless. Go, oh, yeah, that's pretty, you know. There, there's, there's no revelation. The Holy Spirit brings revelation. And, and Paul says this, when he came into this relationship with God, the revelation started to open up in this book and who God was and what God said. And, and, and why does it matter to us? Because of this, John 9, 25. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. You know what I'm talking about? I was completely blind, but now I see. Now I have understanding. Now there, there's something different going on here. And Paul says, this revelation is to be stewarded. When, when, when there's revelation from this word, he says it's to be administered. It's what God calls us to in these many ways. The first thing, revelation is a mystery made known. Revelation means to show us something we did not know or see before. Revelation refers to the way in which God reveals himself, and revelation is seen, and then walking in obedience. Let me tell you, though, just so we can be clear, because we preached on it a couple weeks ago in Galatians, if there is any revelation that that you say you have that is outside of this word, that doesn't match up to this word, it's heresy and it's from the pit of hell. Let's just establish that right now. This word is the final word. When we talked about, uh, I won't go back into it. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. Back and listen if you want. (laughs) The revelation that God gives is through his word. What, is, what, what, what does God's revelation look like? It looks like, as we said, salvation. God's revelation looks like John 9, 25. I couldn't see, I couldn't see, I did this, I did this, I walked this way. God opened my eyes, and now I see things completely differently. 
You know, think about what you were prior to Jesus and what you are today. Think about how you looked at life prior to your relationship with Jesus and wh- how you look at life now. I couldn't see, I can see. I didn't see, now I see. That's a revelation of the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in you. That's why, it, you know, the, the Bible says that, that the words of God, this word is, is foolishness to those who don't see. Foolishness to those who don't know him. The word of God is alive. What does revelation look like? It looks like a, a live word. It, Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of the soul and spirit and joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What does that mean? This word is alive and active, and it means this. I, I can read a scripture 50 times, and on the 51st time, there's this revelation that I never saw, that this word comes alive. That I can read and then God reveals. And I can read it and God reveals. And I can read it and God reveals. But let me tell you something. Revelation, you see one revelation that God gives you in this word. What you'll see is hundreds of revelations. Because God says the same thing from Revelation or from Genesis to Revelation. The word of God is alive. It has the answers to life, to your life. It has the answers to eternity, eternal life. What does God's revelation look like? It looks like understanding God's plan. So many people, I don't know what's going on out there. I don't know what the plan is. I don't know what, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says this. He has made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has put eternity in the man's heart. Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. What does that mean? It looks like this. It's like God in his, in his sovereignty and in, in, in who he is is omniscient and omnipotent and omnipresent. He will make everything beautiful in its time. And you go, well, how does that happen? How does that happen when we look at things like wars and we look like things like death and we look at disease and we look at pain and we look at hatred? You know what it, what it means like that? It means this, that in the end there will be a time where we stand before God and he will restore everything to the way it should have been. Revelation 21. Therefore there'll be no more tears and he'll wipe away every tear. There'll be no more suffering. There'll be no more pain. He makes everything beautiful in his time. The problem with that scripture is, is in our mind we think time differently than God thinks of time. And we keep thinking why doesn't God show up and make everything beautiful in my life? Why doesn't God show up and clean up this mess in my life? Why doesn't God show up and clean up this or that or whatever it is? And this verse can't be true. It doesn't look beautiful to me. But he has put eternity in the hearts of men, meaning this, that there's got to be something more than just this, as men think. Yet, so he cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end, and that is the truth. And they can look in our life, and we can look back. We went through a stretch for about seven years, and I go, dear Lord, please let this end. And I see God's beauty in it. Is it what I wanted? No. But I watched God turn something that was complete chaos into something that has become beautiful. And some of you are sitting right in the middle of the chaos, so you don't see the beauty. You don't experience the beauty. You're going, what, what the heck? But God says, my grace is sufficient. Steward grace. Administer grace. And look to my word, which brings revelation of truth. And hold on. Hold on. Understanding God's plan, which goes along with purpose and calling. I don't know what I'm called to do. I don't know what I'm called to do. I don't know what God, you know, uh, 
Your eyes, it says in Psalm 139, your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written. Every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. And it was what he, the, 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 the psalmist is saying is, is this, that God in his infinite wisdom has planned out everything he sees every day, set before me before one of them came, comes to be. And you go, well, how can that be? Here's, here's how it can be. That if, if we wake up and we die to ourselves and we sit in this word and we ask God and we walk in the fullness of who he is, we don't turn to the left or we don't turn to the right. And when we talk about purpose, we start to find out who we are and why God created us and what he created us for. And there's a satisfaction in that. You can't be whatever you want. That is one of the most foolish statements that I've ever heard. You can be whatever you want to be. It's a lie from the pit of hell. You can be whatever you want to be. Really? There's not a chance in this world that I could ever be a doctor. Go ahead, laugh. That's fine. I'm, I, I could be a male model, but I couldn't be a doctor. There's, you know, I'm all right with that. And look at her laugh even more. Gosh. I do not have the mind that can grasp. <laughs> Why is that so dang funny to you? I could be your man. That's good. Okay. Jeez. I do not have the mind. I cannot remember. I cannot. There is no way that I could do that. I can't do whatever I want. I couldn't be a dancer. It's not pretty. We went last Friday to a 50th birthday party, and I just kept it right here the whole time. It's all I got. To her demise, sorry. I can't be whatever I want to be. What I can be is exactly what God created me to be. You can't be whatever you want to be. You can be exactly, let me, let me qualify this. You can try to be something else. You can try to square, uh, squeeze a square peg into a round hole. It's incredibly uncomfortable. You'll never walk in peace. You'll never feel fulfilled. You'll keep looking for the next thing, the next thing, and the next thing if that's what you're doing. But when you realize why God created you and what he created you for, you start to walk right in the middle of it, there's this peace that just comes. There's this, there's this just grace that starts to flow. I see it with my kids. I watch my daughter. She's not here anymore, so I can talk about her. Um, I watch my daughter. It's kind of funny. Um, 18 years old, pregnant in high school. Wearing a t-shirt that said, I smoked pot once, and this is what happened to me. She walked around high school with that. I thought it was kind of funny, actually. But, and I watched her just trying to find out who she was. I mean, struggling with depression, all these things. And then all of a sudden, it, 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 she sought God, and it just clicked. And, and she realized that she, needed, she was called to steward grace. And stewarding grace in her life, you know what it looked like? It looked like being a psych nurse to help others. It, it looked like being a mom to this little boy that she bore in high school. The purpose and grace looked like this, this young, beautiful little girl finding out why God created her, and then walking in and watching her just blossom. Purpose, the revelation of who God has called you to be, 
comes through his word, not through what the world tells you, not through what the, the world says is the next greatest thing. The world will just bring confusion and bitterness and anger. But this word, when you start to read it and find out who you are, grace goes forth. Grace goes forth. Did I skip one? Ah, what does God's revelation look like? Ah, make sure. Okay, I skipped three. Sorry. You guys are like, please skip them. Um, what's God's grace look like? Assurance and purpose and calling. That's the one we just did. Sorry. What does God's revelation look like? Encouraging and challenging times. Look, in encouraging, what does God's grace look like when things are difficult? You know what it looks like? It looks like other people that you walk with that come and stand beside you and grab a hold of your arm and hold you up. That's what, what it looks like. The revelation of God's word is God's grace flowing through people in such a way that when you're going through difficult times, others come and hold you up. That's God's grace going forth. And it, it, you know, it encourages his word. When you're going through difficult times, the grace of God flows, the revelation that comes to this word. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. I can make it. I can do it. God, your word says, your word says that you have this promises for me. I can stand on this and I can believe. So, so encouragement comes. The revelation of encouragement comes through people. It comes through this word. And it comes through his creation in difficult times. Um, uh, during difficult times, one of my, my sons that, that just sh- couldn't process it all, he went to the beach and surfed, and he threw himself in the water for years. Actually became a heck of a surfer. But he went there, and I didn't realize this because I grounded him once from surfing, and I thought it was, you know, that... Uh, that you know, that was the right thing for a, a dumb dad to do is ground him from surfing because that's pleasure. But what I didn't realize was the connectedness of, of this encouragement to his soul that took place when he'd sit in the water and could be serene and not talking to anybody. It's just him and the waves. And it would literally center him and bring him to this place with God. And I tried to ground him. Oops, bad parenting. There's a lot of grace for it, though. See, when you're going through difficult times, there's two things. One, we are called to be the grace component that goes out and encourages others. And we're, we're called to stand and allow others to come in and be the grace component that helps us stand. It works both ways. What does God's revelation look like? It's hope for the future. God's revelation, his word, it looks like hope. It assures believers that God's plan is unfolding according to his divine wisdom. That this plan, you think it's, it's complete chaos at times, but God's going, no, no, I got this thing. I got this thing. Proverbs 19, 21. Many are the plans of the, in the mind of the man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. You got all these plans and the way life is going to go, and they don't quite go the way that you think they should go. And God goes, I got it. I got you. Why don't you step back into my lane and step out of yours and watch what I can do? I got you. So how does Paul steward and administer God's grace and revelation? What, let, let's get to the, the, the meat of it. Okay, how do we do this? I mean, it's a, it a great message if we just go home and have more donuts. But, but if, if, when you walk out of this place, if you didn't grab anything of how do I walk in this, then we've completely missed the revelation of God's word. And Paul gives us that. 
The answer is in verse 7 of Ephesians 3. He says this, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, okay, talked about that, which was given me by the working of his power. See, as I'm speaking these words, many of you are going, this is great. I've tried this. It doesn't seem to work. You know why? Because you're not doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit. You do it in the power of you. See, the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul emphasizes that, that, that his ministry, the gospel, is not based on his own merit. Paul was a bright guy. He was a brilliant guy. He says, but it wasn't based on my own merit or effort, but the results of God's grace working in God and the power through the Holy Spirit in Paul's life. This power of the Holy Spirit created it, it, that, 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 that God gave us is, is what Paul is talking about. And before Paul, there was this guy named Jesus. You heard of him? He said this in John 16, 7. He said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus says, I'm ascending, but I'm sending someone else. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that raised me from the dead. I'm sending to you. I'm sending to you. See, power is just the, the, is a simple ability. You have the ability. Power just, like, I've got this pack here, and there's a battery in here, and the power's in the battery. But, but the battery also does is it gives the mic the ability to work. The ability to extend grace. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability to extend grace. God has given us the ability to access power, and the Holy Spirit is available to him. Stop trying to do it on your own. This is the issue. You're trying to do it on your own. You're trying to live this life on your own. You're trying to make it on your own. You're trying to survive on your own. And God says, look, look, I've got this Holy Spirit that lives in you, the same one that raised me from the dead, that lives in you. Trust him, rely on him. Paul says, I'm in prison. I've been beaten. I've been through a lot of stuff. Yet, the power of the Holy Spirit keeps me going. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that gives me hope in this place as I'm getting ready to stand before uh, kings. See, the power of the Holy Spirit is what gives me the power to believe. The very belief you have has been given to you by God. The power of the Holy Spirit, the power to believe is given to you by the Holy Spirit. You're dealing with unforgiveness. You're dealing with a hard heart. You're dealing with something because some family member or someone or whatever it is, you're dealing with that. The only way you're going to be able to release that is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, it's going to linger. You want to live a gracious life? You're living a little angry, a little, uh, a little less than, than gracious? The only way you're going to be able to live a complete gracious life is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me, let me qualify that because I, I am, I'm certain there are people that don't know Jesus that can be gracious. I'm certain there are people that don't know Jesus that, that, that can forgive. Absolutely. What I'm talking about is walking in the purpose of why God created you and what he created you for. And not only that, but touching lives and extending God's grace. That's what Paul's talking about, is, is, is stewarding God's grace so that others' lives would be changed. There's a conscious thought process going on. It's like, I'm going to take what God's done in my life and I'm going to give it to someone else. The power of the Holy Spirit? I don't disciple anybody. Okay. It's the power of the Holy Spirit in you that will give you the strength, the wisdom, and the direction to disciple someone. 
I don't want to share the gospel. I get a little weird and it feels weird in people. And how do I share about Jesus? It's not you. The power of the Holy Spirit that lives in me says speak. And I speak. Not always. But I try. It, it, it's for, for too many Christians, the Holy Spirit that lives in us, because when we get saved and we come right with God, that Spirit of God resides in us. But for too many of us, we've, we've kind of locked him in a closet and we'll say, I'll, I'll get to you when I get to you. Just, just keep it quiet. And I have this incredible power to do. And I'm just kind of squashing it. The power to serve walk in acts of kindness, the power to pray and intercede, the power to be generous in our financial stewardship. Look, it is the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in me that allows me to do those things. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, administer grace. Steward grace. Steward the revelation of this word that I've given you. But the only way you're going to be able to do it is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Not on your own. You might have a moment here or there. But you want to live in the fullness of what this word says? You want to walk in the fullness of God's purpose? You want to walk in the fullness of his peace? It's through the power of his Holy Spirit. See, the power of the Holy Spirit enables us to live inside his will. But it takes collaboration by us in a community with God. Wait, wait, wait. I have something in this to do? Yes. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that goes forth. But here's the thing. As we've seen in many times in our lives, the power of the Holy Spirit doesn't go forth. You know why? Because we don't die. What part do we play? We die to ourselves daily. You want to walk in the fullness of God's power? You got to die. See, but there's too many Christians that are trying to preserve their life. I'm holding on to that life holding on to that life. I'm going to hold on to that, and I'm going to add a little Jesus to it. It doesn't work out. Jesus calls us to die every single day. A daily death, Luke 9. And he said to all, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever should save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Pick up your cross and die to yourself each and every day. A daily death, Galatians 2, 20. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live in the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I live in that crucified flesh. He said, the daily death that I live, Romans 12, 1 through 2, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies, to wake up in the morning and die to yourself and die to your worry and die to your impatience and die to your anger and die to your selfishness and die to your hurts and all those things and, and put it on the cross and, and wake up and, 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 and present your body to Jesus Christ in the morning as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Which is your worship. See, God created all of us to worship. You're worshiping something. He just says, choose to worship the Creator when you get up. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds that comes through what we just talked about, the revelation of God's word, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good, good and acceptable and perfect.
You want to know why Blackaby says that anywhere from 4 to 6% of Christians live a true biblical worldview? And when I, when I say true biblical worldview, what I mean is someone who, who goes to church not twice a month, but, but every week that he can, who ties 10%, who loves their, their, their family well, whose who, who grace goes forth. That, that's a, a, someone living in that way, 4 to 6%, which seems really low. You want to know why? It's because we don't like to die. We don't want to die. See, but Jesus, some 2,000 years ago, died on the cross so that I could have life. And the only way to bring life is to die and allow God to resurrect it. The only way you're going to overcome whatever it is you need to overcome is to die and allow God to resurrect it. That's his perfect will. That fear, get up in the morning and nope, and let God bring the hope. It's Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. It's time to die and allow the risen Savior, Jesus, to rule and reign in my life. It's time to die. Oh, that's a great message. (laughs) That sounds like a lot of fun, but you know what? When you do it, God's grace goes forth. God's peace goes forth. Hope goes forth. And others start eating the fruit off your life. And they go, what's different about you? And it's Jesus. As Ariana comes up, we're going to finish with, with communion. And it's a great place to talk about dying. Because communion is a remembrance of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And as, as we get ready to receive the Bible says this in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, the bread, and he said, this is my body which was for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the wine that represented his blood, and he said, in the same way he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. And as, as we've spoken today about death and about God's grace going forth and what Paul did and what God did in him you know where you start you start right here at the table what does that look like death it looks like this that before you come and receive the elements you check your heart you examine your heart and you go oh God some of us don't want to look there a lot of times I don't want to look there But you have a real, you put that mirror up and you you just kind of pull it back and you go, okay, God. And you start, and you start this way. Oh, God, forgive me. You want to talk, you want to know how you die? You start here. Oh, God, forgive me. Forgive me for holding on to that pride. Forgive me for holding on to that fear. You know, too many times we sleep with the enemy. It's more comfortable than the unknown of trusting God in what he might have for you. Oh God, forgive me for walking in fear. Oh God, forgive me for trying to control this or that or them or him or her. Oh God, forgive me for the worry. Oh 
Well, these things are easier said than done. And, and we're going to leave here today, and you're going to walk out those doors, and you're going to have a choice this afternoon when your favorite team's losing to, to walk in fear because they're going to lose or, or say, nope, I'm not going to fear. Or when that kid or that husband or wife, when that situation hits you right in the face, you're going to make a decision. You're going to trust and believe, or are you going to walk in fear? So before you come and receive the elements, examine your hearts. Lay it at the cross. Ask forgiveness and let Jesus resurrect you. Let Jesus resurrect your hope. Let Jesus resurrect what he wants to resurrect in your life and trust him so that others might eat off the grace of your life. That's what Paul's talking about. So as you come and receive this morning, examine your heart, and then come, receive the bread and the, the wine, and then rejoice. Rejoice in the freedom that comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Walk out of this place today with no burden on your shoulders and in every moment and every day die to Jesus and give it to him Father I thank you for this time Lord I thank you for your word I thank you for the Apostle Paul that so beautifully laid out your grace your revelation and spoke of the power of your spirit that changed his life come to receive communion and acknowledge you as Lord and Savior. God, we thank you for the work you did on the cross some 2,000 years ago through your son, Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen. There's communion stations on either side and in the back. It's family style. Grab someone up there by themselves to receive with you and receive together.